Shit Places A Story by Sky Odsley Part 4 The Cactus Lounge was the kind of place where a visiting family could share a plate of fajitas on their way to the Grand Canyon. There was an arcade in the front entrance for the kids and dim lighting for the road-worn parents. The adobe-style building with its rough stucco interior, red carpeted floors, and bright turquoise artwork was just the right environment for chips and salsa. But the place didn't sell much food after 6 p.m. And when the sun went down, it was the only bar in Phoenix still open. All the other servers and bartenders in the neighborhood gathered there after their shifts. Motel employees and retirement home nurses came in to drink between their doubles, and every bachelor in town hung out all night long, hoping someone new might wander in. It was sundown, and the place was entering this exact transition point. The last family of the night was paying their bill, Two waitresses were rolling silverware and about to clock out and have their first tequila shots of the night. The cook was still in his apron, but leaning over the jukebox with a cold modello, pumping it full of Freddie Fetter songs. And Wayne, the Sunday night bartender, was behind the bar, opening a bag of margarita mix with a pear of scissors. After slicing open a corner, he hoisted the sack into the crook of his arm and dumped it all into the lit-up mixer. He still had five more bags to go, not including the strawberry ones thawing in the sink. Pre-batched blended margaritas were Wayne's specialty. These two little glowing tanks did most of the work. All he had to do was salt the rim and pour. The hardest part was not spilling any while filling them. He struggled with the next cold, wet baggie of syrup, nearly dropping it as he pulled it from the box. The handful of dudes sitting at the bar watched this, smirking to each other. But then the front door rattled open, and everyone turned. It was still a bit early for any regulars to show up. Bill and Roy entered arm in arm, as if part of a wedding promenade, but it looked more like they'd just come from being attacked by coyotes. Their shabby clothes were sweat-soaked and torn. Bill's face was as red as the carpet. Roy's white beard was brown with filth, and his forearm had swollen to the size of a cantaloupe. But they played it cool. With the Mexican border not far away and miles of desert all around, it wasn't uncommon for a vagabond or drifter to walk through the door. But usually they came alone, paid with change, and spoke very little. 
Wayne didn't like to discriminate, but these two clowns were not the average hobos. For starters, they had no bags, but plenty of cactus thorns to prove just how far they'd walked in the wild. Even stranger, the younger one was in a suit. The kind of suit you'd wear to a funeral. And the older one seemed like he'd just escaped out a hospital window. His eyes were directionless. Wayne noticed the swollen snake bite first. But then he noticed the shimmer of the handcuffs they were trying to conceal. He dumped the rest of the bag of mix into the tank and reached under the bar, turning on the sink. Bill and Roy walked through the dining room, politely nodding to the waitresses and cook, watching them from the jukebox. Then they took two bar stools on the far end and each picked up a menu, looking them over. Wayne washed his hands and glanced at the other customers. He knew they'd all judge him for serving these dusty desperados, but he liked to give anyone a chance. You guys just fall off a train? Wayne asked, stepping over to them while drying his hands with a towel. Close, Bill said, surprisingly chipper. We had a couple of really nasty falls, actually, but no trains. Almost got run over by a semi, though. I'll take a margarita, Roy grumbled, scratching his beard. Well, looks like the El Chupacabra took a bite out of you, Wayne said, nodding to Roy's blackened, puffy arm. I don't recommend putting alcohol into a bloodstream full of venom. You don't look like a doctor to me, Roy said, not looking up from the menu. Lime. Blended. And I don't need any salt. Lucky for you, I just loaded the machine, Wayne said. But you better let me have a look at that arm while the mix is still getting cold. Wayne reached over the bar, but Roy swatted away his hand, accidentally exposing their handcuffed wrists. Aw, hell, one customer said. Call the police on these fools. I don't call the police, Wayne snapped. You want to wake up a sleeping deputy? Go for it. But I think I can handle this myself. The customer, visibly irked, just lifted his beer and turned back to the television he'd been watching. Who are you two running from? Wayne whispered, leaning in to be discreet. None of your damn business, Roy barked. Get me a drink, kid. Bill tossed down his menu resting their bound hands right on the bar top and pulling out his wallet. Forgive my date, Bill said. Obviously, it's been a long day for us. But we don't mean any trouble. We're just passing through. Looking for a motel is all. Well, there's plenty of those, Wayne said, pouring them each a margarita and sliding them over. You guys look like you're in the market for something close by. Actually, I'm looking for a specific motel, Bill said, clanking his glass to Roy's. The Econo, the one with a pool. 
Ever heard of it? Is that right? Wayne asked, a little amused. I didn't take you guys for the hourly rate kind. He means tail, Roy whispered, elbowing Bill in the side. Ask him where the cheap hookers are. Not the motel itself so much, Bill said, quieting Roy down with a basket of chips. It's a person I'm looking for. They work at that motel. So you do know the place? I do, Wayne said, squinting at him. I was actually there earlier. Enough yapping, Roy said, chewing. Just drink your damn drink, Bob. That dough ball by the jukebox keeps giving us the stink eye. What's your friend's name? Wayne asked, pouring them each a shot of tequila and one for himself. This person you're looking for. Well, that's the thing, Bill said. Last time I checked, her name was Margaret, but I don't think that's the case anymore. As sick as Roy was feeling, he took the shot along with Bill and Wayne, each of them slamming down their empty glasses. But then Wayne played dumb, not even stirring at the mention of Margaret's name, and just shrugging as if he had no idea who she was. I gotta piss, Roy confessed, a little embarrassed that the waitresses could hear him. Come on, let's hit the John. It's back and to the right, Wayne said, pointing to the restroom doors and picking up a rag. Might be a tight squeeze for a chain gang, but best of luck. Roy brought his drink with him, carrying it to the bathroom and pulling Bill along behind him. They entered the single stall and Roy dropped his pants, taking a seat on the toilet. Oh, thank God, Bill said, plopping down on the grimy tile floor beside him. You're fishing the key out, though. All right? I'm afraid I'm still too cramped to poo, Roy said, smacking his stomach. So cramped I gotta sit down to pee. Must be the snake venom getting to me. Bill looked up as Roy slurped his drink and then cradled the goblet between his bare knees, his ripped pants lying around his ankles. It's a weak-ass drink, Roy muttered. That hot stuff bartender must have forgot to add the booze. Let's blow this joint and find a place with a little more action. I'm afraid our agendas still don't quite meet, Bill said, unraveling some toilet paper and wiping his nose. As soon as you shit out that key, we can go our own ways. But for now, you're stuck with me. You're the one who's stuck on someone, Roy said, rattling the handcuffs. Stuck worse than these chains. Just take a shit, all right, Bill asked, watching a scorpion crawl by his shoe and up the wall. I know, it's always hard for me to go with other people around, too, so I'll shut up. But just try and go, man. Unlocking these cuffs is going to solve a lot of our problems. 
In the same way flying down here is solving all your problems, Roy asked, taking another drink. I hope we're still chained together when you finally catch this wife of yours. Because I want to be there when she dumps your ass again. Everyone in the bar heard the loud crash from inside the men's room as Bill tackled Roy off the toilet and knocked the soap dispenser to the floor. Then Wayne nodded to the cook leaning over the jukebox and picked up the phone. Chapter 20 The Econo Motel's manager, Brian, was leafing through some junk mail on his desk, trying to find a book of stamps he'd misplaced when the phone rang. He let it ring a few times. This late in the evening, it was likely just some decrepit asshole from one of the rooms, wondering how the television remote worked. He pinched the bridge of his nose and closed his eyes finally picking up the receiver and clearing his throat. Southtown Econo, Brian speaking. Hey, Brian, a voice whispered. It was Wayne, talking low, as if he were in a noisy bar. Go figure. What? Brian asked impatiently. Don't tell me you lost the damn drain snake again. I just bought that new one last month. No, it's in my truck, Wayne said. I need to, uh, talk to, uh, Gloria. What? Brian griped. Who the hell is this? Am I running a damn dating service? Well, you do run a sex motel, Wayne replied. You shut up, Brian snapped. Boy, I told you the sheriff's office has these lines wired. Don't you even start with that crap, all right? Wrong number. Now hang on, Wayne pleaded. Just put Gloria on the damn phone. Well, someone sure ironed their big boy britches today, Brian noted. Listen to you, tough guy. Want me to fetch the butler while I'm at it? Wayne remained silent, twisting the phone cord in his fingers as he watched the cook leave out the back and start up his van. Fine, Brian announced, giving up. But you'll have to give me a minute. I got no idea where that lazy gal is. She's in room 28, Wayne confessed. You can just patch me through. Aw, hell, Brian grunted. This is something else. Now I'm a damn operator. Brian stared at his desktop phone, letting his finger hover over it, uncertain how to transfer a call. Press hold, Wayne said, pinching the bridge of his nose as well. Then hit pound, then dial 28. He listened as Brian clicked and fumbled with the buttons. And then hang up, Wayne said. One step at a time, Brian fussed. We'll see if I hang up this phone. Leave that up to me, boy. Now when you come in to snake that drain? Later, Wayne said. After I close up here. I got my keys. No need to wait for me. That's what I like to hear, Brian said. 
be sure to take a photo of whatever was clogging that tub. I can charge the last tenant for it. The phone beeped as Brian dialed 28 without hitting pound first. Aw, shit, Brian said, finally pressing pound. The line dropped to a low rumble and began to buzz. Then Margaret answered, snorting as if she'd just woken up. Yeah? she asked. Who is it? Wayne could hear her rubbing her eyes. You sleeping? he asked. There was a moment of silence as Margaret gathered herself, uncertain of the day or time or where she was. What? she asked. Brian, is that you? No. It's Wayne. Hey, listen. Wayne? she asked, yawning. I I was just dreaming about you. Listen, Gloria, he said, trying to sound casual. I got a good mind to think Brian is still on the line as well right now. I'm here, Brian announced, still listening in. Wayne closed his eyes. This was already more work than he'd planned. Right, Wayne said. Brian, do you mind if Gloria and I talk alone? I suppose, Brian said. But how do I do that? You just hang up the phone, Wayne said. Oh, gotcha, Brian said. Then Brian's end clicked off, came back on, and then clicked off again. Wayne, you're calling me? Margaret asked. That's... that's so nice. She sounded drunk, but happy to hear from him. Gloria, Brian might still be on the line, Wayne huffed. So I need to keep this brief. There's someone down here at the cactus asking around about you. Who? Margaret asked. Wayne could hear her putting on her shoes and knocking over some bottles. I have no clue, Wayne confessed. It's two guys handcuffed together. One's old and busted to shit, but the other one says he knows you. What's he look like? Margaret asked, taking a pull from a bottle of vodka. Like someone's dad, Wayne replied, staring across the bar at the bathroom door. He's got on a suit, bald dude, about, oh, sorry to say this, but he's about your age, I suppose. Oh, God, Margaret said, sobering up and clutching her throat. It can't be him. Well, Wayne said, not wanting to involve himself too much. I just wanted to let you know. I think you ought to come down here. He already knows you work at the motel. If I were you, I'd want to meet him on a level playing field like this place. Otherwise, he's just going to come there.
Wayne knew this guy yelling in the men's room was her husband. Margaret liked to talk when she was drunk, and she loved being drunk. So she talked a lot, often confessing things about her past and eventually sobbing over abandoning her children when Wayne could finally hold her down in bed long enough to stop her from drinking anymore. He'd known as soon as this handcuffed stranger had mentioned her name that he was the guy finally here and looking for answers. Uh, Gloria, has 28 got new sheets yet? Brian asked, apparently still on the line. Margaret took another drink, ignoring him. I sent Esteban to pick you up, Wayne said, also ignoring Brian. He'll be there quick, all right? Just do whatever you gotta do and I'll stall these dudes. Have a glass of water if you can. Aren't you cute, Margaret said, taking another long swig of vodka. Don't tell me what to do. I've got a right mind to do nothing of the sort. Just tell them to get lost. Well then what are you gonna do, Wayne asked. Where else are you gonna go tonight, huh? Ain't no other place open. And from the sounds of it, you're out of beer. Margaret looked at the ten empty beer bottles lining the bedside table. Wayne was right. She couldn't make it through the night without going to the cactus lounge and tying one on. There was no other way to dreamless sleep. I should shower, she said, almost to herself. Wayne, I'm sloppy drunk. I've been crying all day. Can we talk? Wayne knelt behind the bar, whispering. Of course, he said softly, not wanting to rile her up. We can yak all you want, all right? But first, you gotta get up out of that bed and let Esteban drive you down here, okay? Okay, she said meekly. I'll just freshen up. Gloria, Brian said, interrupting them. I expect you back in half an hour. But then the line clicked off and went dead in Brian's ear. A second later, he heard Esteban's van lurch over the curb and into the lot, blaring the local mariachi station. Brian got up from his desk and peeked out his office windows drawn blind. The big brown van rumbled, sitting diagonal in the parking lot. Then he watched Gloria come out of room 28, tying up her hair and buttoning her top. She looked a mess, like she just blow-dried her face. She spat onto the pavement, slung her purse over her shoulder, and climbed into the passenger seat of the van. Then Esteban hit the gas and cranked the volume, doing a big Yui around the tiny pool and bouncing them back down onto the road. A moment later, the van turned out of sight.
Chapter 21 A porcelain white Mercedes sat humming as Pat walked out into the parking lot of the Rattlesnake Bar. Dennis was leaning back on the hood like a football player about to be photographed. The satisfying blowjob that lay in store had already played out in his mind several times since starting the car and getting into this rugged pose. Nice wheels, Pat said in a wet and breathy tone. Sounds brand new. Just how I like them, Dennis said, opening the passenger door, taking her hand, and helping her slide down into the cold leather seat. Of course, an old beat-up car will always do the trick in a pinch, though. His awful joke landed with perfect timing as he slammed her door closed, not allowing her to reply. Then he skipped around the car and got in behind the wheel, wrestling the clutch into drive. Damn rentals, he muttered. I asked for an automatic, but you can't always get what you want. A friend of mine in the Rolling Stones once told me that. Sometimes you can, Pat said, dabbing on some perfume and pulling a joint out from her little purse. Call it luck. Dennis took the joint from her and lit it, smoking it like a cigarette and not even offering her a drag. Luck my ass, he scoffed, rolling down his window. It cost me an extra 50 bucks for this layover flight. I'd say that's more hard work than luck. But no mind. This weed stinks. Where's a good spot to pull off? I'm getting horny. Cops in this town ain't gonna let that slide, Pat said, glancing at herself in the rearview mirror. Any bumpkin with a badge that sees a car like this is gonna want a closer look. Probably wouldn't do your public image any good to get caught making out with me. That's true, Dennis said, flicking the hardly smoked joint out his window. Motel it is, I suppose, but nothing flashy. My wife's already making me fork out for the five-star Marriott back by the airport. Speaking of luck, Pat said, she sounds awful lucky. She sure as hell is, Dennis said, scratching his beard. Her modeling career was going nowhere until I landed that TV show. Now she's on the cover of every gossip magazine there is. A 19-year-old marrying an old-time rocker like myself sure makes headlines. She'd still be posing in a bikini for a hundred bucks a day if it weren't for me. You have changed, Pat said with a hint of sarcasm. I never thought you'd settle down. I'm just getting riled up, Dennis replied, nudging her. Now where's a motel? I want to feel them things of yours wrapped around it. I've been thinking about it all damn day. Well, Pat said, looking around as if the road were unfamiliar. This ain't the way to town. This is the way out of town. Ah, hell, Dennis grumbled, slowing the car down. No, that's good, Pat said, squeezing his thigh. 
I know an abandoned barn up this way. The kids use it for sex. We ain't kids no more, but we can still try. I like your attitude, Dennis said, reaching over and fondling her chest, his white beard wiggling in the low lights from the dashboard. I doubt I'll last long enough to fuck you, but we'll see. Did you bring condoms? Pat pulled three out from her purse and dropped them in his lap. Damn, girl, he said, sticking them in his pocket. You ain't changed a bit. Now where's this barn? Unfortunately, it's a ways up, she confessed, hoping he wouldn't change his mind. But I suppose this thing can go fast, right? There's no prouder moment in a man's life than giving a poor girl her first ride in a nice car, Dennis said, straightening the rearview mirror and glancing at himself. You're damn right it goes fast. This thing wins races in Europe all the time. State-of-the-art engineering. Zero to 60 in 3.3 seconds. Gigawatt horsepower. Honey, you're inside Motor Trend's sports car of the year. Fast ain't even a fast enough word for it. Well, the barn is 10 miles further, Pat said acting shy. And I can't be gone too long or else I might get fired. Dennis laughed. You gotta have a job to get fired, he said, stepping on the gas. That scumbucket tavern back there ain't a job. But I tell you what, you be good for me and I'll have you back in no time. Then he cranked the clutch and slammed on the gas, rocketing them down the road at over a hundred miles an hour. We'll be there in less than five minutes, he said. You just point out the way. It's on the right, Pat said. A big red barn. You can't miss it. You sure missed me though, didn't you? Dennis asked one hand on the wheel and the other moving back to Pat's thigh. I liked that song you sang, Pat said, lacing her fingers between his. That sure made me nostalgic. I'd never heard you sing that one before. What made you decide to cover that old pop hit anyway? You sure turned it into something else. The song, we sang, Dennis said, bouncing their held hands. And don't you ever forget, I let you take the last verse up there. That's a song the talent show producers forced upon me for the upcoming season. I had to sit in a studio, singing that cover song until my eyes blurred. Vocal coaches, all of it. It's going to be the hit single on whoever the heck wins that stupid show's first album. A goddamn Alan Parsons Project song. Who would have imagined that, huh? Huh. I spent months practicing that sappy song for a duet with one of those other judges. We nailed it during the final taping. But it hasn't aired yet. 
you and all those small town folk back there got a special little treat. So you didn't sing that song for me, Pat said, sounding relieved and looking out her window at the passing trees. I've sang that song so many times that it's now dedicated to no one, Dennis confessed, letting go of her hand and putting it back on the steering wheel. Or maybe it's dedicated to everyone. I don't know. I've never been much into that kind of musical impact. The human voice is just like a guitar. You just have to tune it right and practice a bunch. There ain't no art to singing. Well, I guess that's where we disagree, Pat said, still looking out her window. Always did, Dennis said with a smirk. But you still got an all right voice, for what it's worth. Almost as good as that Hispanic what's-her-name from my show, the one I did the recording with. She can really belt it out, I tell ya. But you... Dennis reached and pinched her chin. You might be a bit filled out, he said, questioning himself. But you've still got soul. I'll give you that. I wish we could just keep driving, Pat said, biting her lip. Take this road all the way to San Francisco, like we were supposed to. Me too, Dennis sighed, letting his mind trail back to himself. But it ain't what it was in 69. You wouldn't last a day in that scene now, you old bird. His playful jabs at her age were directed to sound shared, as if they were both washed up for the same reasons, the same circumstances. But each one felt as cold and stiff as a dull needle sinking right into Pat's chest. She bit her lip, holding in the pain. It's just up here, she said, pointing to a bare patch among the tall trees. Take a right onto that little driveway. Where in the shit are we, Dennis grunted, sounding skeptical. Exactly how far back from the road? This place looks like a scary movie. He slowed down and took a right, and soon the narrow dirt road turned pitch black. Only the headlight beams, floating with gnats, could be seen. Pat pulled off her shirt and unhooked her bra. Not far, she said. Dennis brought the car to a rolling stop and threw it in park, twisting to look her pale, rounded flesh over in the dashboard lights. Fuck the barn, he said, unbuttoning his pants. This is good enough. Now let me at them things. He reached for her in the quiet, humming darkness, the car still running. Oh, wait, Pat said, digging into the purse between her feet. One last thing. She came up with a handgun 
and pointed it in his face, pressing the barrel to his nose. Take off your clothes, she ordered. All of them. Is this some kind of role-playing shit? Dennis said, sticking his hands in the air. God damn it, woman. I ain't got time for this shit. Put that squirt gun away. Pat moved the barrel away from his face and fired. Dennis ducked and screamed as the driver's side window behind his head exploded and the shot echoed through the trees. Jesus Christ, he yelled, feeling his skull to make sure he was still alive. You almost blew my head off with that thing, you dumb bitch. Pat stuck the barrel back on the tip of his nose. Out, she barked. Open your door and get the fuck out of the car, asshole. Dennis, now petrified, did as he was told, and they both climbed out, Pat all the while holding him at gunpoint. He kept his hands in the air, his belt and fly still undone and hanging open as they stepped into the headlight beams. Now strip, she said. You can't be serious, Dennis pleaded. I can't get it up with a gun in my face. Take off your clothes, she said. Shoes first, let's go. Dennis did as he was told first removing his hat, shoes, and socks, and then his pants and shirt. His frail, naked body was covered in spiderweb hairs and liver spots, his blue chest sagging, his knobby knees purple as eggplants. Underwear, too, Pat said, pointing the gun at his crotch. Drop those drawers, old boy. Dennis hesitated, for a moment thinking he could run or maybe grab the gun. But after a few seconds, he stuck his thumbs under the elastic waistline of his briefs and pulled them down, kicking them over to her with his bare foot. His privates were shriveled, hanging crooked and curved, as if slowly melting from between his legs. He covered himself and looked away, embarrassed and trembling. Then Pat shot him right in the thigh, and Dennis shrieked, grabbing his knee and falling to the ground. He writhed there in the dirt, blood pouring and pooling from the hole she'd blown clean through the side of his leg. She took a few steps closer, pointing the gun at his head, and tilting her own in fascination at the fear radiating from him. He was helpless and crumbled, the soles of his bare feet already cut up from the rocks and the road, dirt smeared across his face, agony behind his teeth, a total victim. She lowered the gun to his foot, and fired again, blowing off a few of his toes. Dennis screamed and curled himself into a ball, 
his hands now smeared with blood. This looks about right, Pat said, gathering up his clothes, shoes, and underwear. I can't say we're even, but it's as close as I'm gonna get. Dennis strained to speak, spitting up and grunting curses as he tried and failed to climb to his elbows. The town's ten miles that way, of course, Pat said, pointing to the right. Otherwise, the airport's only a few miles north. Good luck. But I suppose you've never needed luck, have you? She tossed all his clothing into the car, pulled her own shirt back on, and climbed behind the wheel. Then she spun the car around, not minding the tree limbs and scratching the paint as she made a staggering three-point turn. Dennis could only watch, shielding his eyes from the bright taillights as he laid there, gasping for air. Then Pat hit the gas and drove out of the trees and back onto the road, leaving Dennis alone in the dark woods. The Mercedes sure was a smooth ride. Dennis had not lied about that. A truly sound engine, fast as hell. At this rate, Pat would be able to relieve Bernadette of her karaoke host duties in no time. But it pained her slightly to pull off to the shoulder once the rattlesnake's sign appeared in the distance. She would miss this car. She listened for the late-night train that always rumbled between her bar and that shithole pork pies across the tracks. The train was not far off, maybe less than a mile away. The timing, for once, was finally perfect. She steered off the road and across the small town's tractor sales lot, hitting the gas once more to break through the chain-link gate to the old abandoned depot. Then she parked the pretty white car right over the train tracks and climbed out with her purse just as the old locomotive's headlamp appeared in the distance, rounding the corner to town and barreling down upon her. But now there was plenty of time to get away from impending doom. She took one last look at the fancy car, realizing that it wasn't all that different from any other car, just sharper faster, but a car all the same. Then she stepped away and walked toward the rattlesnake, her shoes hitting the gravel of the old bar's parking lot just as the train collided with the Mercedes in an explosion of horns and squealing metal. Chapter 22. You smell like an agave worm, Esteban said, swatting away the stench in the van. You want to borrow some cologne? 
Margaret just stared at him, dumbfounded by where she had come in life, sitting shotgun in a disgusting van, chauffeured by an oaf, and being chastised for her hygiene. Truthfully, Esteban was being considerably kind. She actually smelled like dog shit and human feet, something a sweet and earthy tequila worm could never dream of stooping to. But still, she was hurt, discreetly sniffing her own armpit and looking around the fast food bag littered van for anything of use. Here, Esteban said, offering her a small bottle. Hi, Karate. It's aftershave, but uh, you can have some. Margaret took the bottle, reading its label in the dim interior lights. I haven't shaved in a while, she said, trying to laugh it off. She doused herself good spritzing it into her hair and even right up her skirt. It smelled like tea tree and orange juice, heavy on the orange juice, but was not all that unpleasant compared to the other smells in the van. Then Esteban took it back from her and sprayed himself before tossing it onto the dash. Pheromone, he said, heightens the senses releases the chi. Uh Uh-huh, she said, barely listening as she dug in her purse for a cigarette. So who's down at the cactus tonight? Same old, Esteban shrugged, holding out his fingers to hopefully borrow a cigarette as well. Mean Willie, Ugly Joe, Dickhead Dave, Shit for Brains Tony, Rhonda and Sally are there, too. They just got done. Margaret lit her smoke and rolled down her window, handing the pack to him. This brief description of the crowd she was about to join was all too familiar and expected. For a year now, maybe even longer, every single night of her life had ended at the Cactus Lounge, sitting among these very people. Why had she even asked? But the new faces, she said, picking a piece of lint out of her mouth. The two handcuffed fellas, who are they? I do not know, Esteban said. They look like life has chewed them up and spit them out. Like they have come very far and still not found what they're looking for. They act as if they are not friends, but perhaps enemies, bound together in some crude joke they can't escape while suffering eternally from mutual misfortune. Ah, so they're married then, Margaret said, brushing ash off her leg. Poor Bill. I wonder who he's roped in this time. The old man is at death's door, Esteban said in a cloud of smoke, turning down the radio. A snakebite such as his ends life. Diamondback venom marches like soldiers through the streets of a man's bloodstream until it reaches the heart and detonates the final grenade. Are you high? Margaret scoffed. 
The last time you talked like this, you had weed. Now where the hell is it? Esteban's eyes shifted. He tried to just let the cigarette dangle from his mouth in response, but then Margaret opened his glove compartment and began digging through it. A flashlight and some plastic forks hit the floor. Please, he pleaded, reaching over and slamming it shut. I told Wayne that I wouldn't let you get any more fucked up. Really? she asked, feeling judged. So Wayne is your boss now, too? Well, how about that? News flash, Stevie. I do what I want. Now give me a hit or I'll pee right in this seat. Esteban hesitated. Margaret wasn't bluffing. She'd pissed in his van countless times. You can't tell Wayne, he said, pulling a pipe from his breast pocket and passing it to her. If he asks, you smoked this on your own. I do everything on my own, she said, holding the pipe to her lips. Even when someone else is around. The pot was strong and laced with something even stronger. A chemical taste immediately hit the back of her throat and she coughed and gagged, wiping her lips as her eyes began to water. Esteban passed her a can of beer and she opened it and drank, staring out her window as the black desert sky remained still. Chapter 23 When Wayne heard the toilet seat get pried loose and clatter to the floor, he stormed over and kicked open the bathroom door. Bill and Roy were splayed out on the wet tiles, choking each other. Roy's pants were down around his boots, but luckily, he hadn't shat himself. Call it a draw, Wayne said, flipping the lights off and on. Don't make me come down there. That floor hasn't been mopped in a long time. Now get the hell up. Bill and Roy let go of each other and squirmed, climbing to their knees and clutching the sink to not fall over. I ought to kick you two out, Wayne said. Suck my ass, Roy snapped, twisting himself around Bill. Just tell me where the motel is, Bill pleaded, swatting Roy's hands out of his face as Wayne helped them to their feet and led them back into the dining room. Just take a seat in that booth, Wayne said, handing Bill the rest of his drink and pointing to a table beside the waitresses. Then the front door swung open and the cook from earlier stumbled in with a soiled blanket wadded up in his arms. She fucking puked in my van again, he yelled. Wayne held open the kitchen door and helped him unload the blanket into a sink. Then the door swung closed behind them, and suddenly Bill and Roy were left alone with the waitresses. So where y'all go for fun? Roy asked, 
turning around in the booth and poking his head over one of their shoulders. Where's the action in Phoenix? It's a Sunday night, the girl said, cringing at his filthy beard. You pick the wrong time to look for action. You sound like you could use a vacation, Roy noted. What do you say the three of us hop a bus to Tijuana, then? He pointed his finger at the second waitress and gave her a matter-of-fact stare. You clean out the registers, he said. And you. Then he aimed the finger like a gun and pointed it back at the one beside him. You start up the getaway car. I'll go empty the safe. Although he was leaning in a bit too close, he was just a wiry old man. Plus, the snake bite had taken all the blood from his face. He was gaunt and bony. The girls couldn't help but pity him. So they played along. Who do you even know in Mexico, the farther one asked. Last time I crossed the border with a guy, I had to sleep in a tent and pee in the bushes. Well, how lucky for those bushes, Roy replied. If you really are fugitives, the closer one said, putting aside her silverware and turning around to face him. Where'd you escape from? She pointed her thumb at Bill. White-collar jail, she teased. Did you guys cheat on your golf score or something? This one's a real card, Roy mumbled to Bill, nudging him. Don't blow this for me like last time. Bill just stared into his drink, thinking about Margaret. Not the Margaret from his past, where they'd presumably been in love, the Margaret he always remembered, but Margaret now, a person he didn't know at all. What was she even like? A bad taste filled his mouth, and he quickly washed it down with a long swig of melted margarita, swishing it through his teeth like mouthwash. He realized he was trying to confront a stranger. Looking back, the years seemed like days. Kyle and Maddie were just kids when she'd left, and they were still kids now but not the kind of kids that needed a mom and dad around to help them with homework. All the things she'd missed by leaving, how could he ever explain them all to her? What was he doing here? Roy continued rambling at the waitresses, making more shit up to get them to laugh. But Bill could barely hear him now. His own thoughts were cracking like thunder and throbbing every time he took a drink. Maybe he was being selfish. Look at what I've done, he thought. I've run away too. Is that why I came? To know that feeling? He covered his eyes, trying to not turn red. What was your plan? A voice asked from inside his head. Think she'd just go back with you? Or did you come all this way just to tell her off? 
You ain't got the guts to tell her off. By now, Bill's eyes were clenched shut, and his thumb and fingers were digging into his temples. He took a deep breath and slowly let go of his face, blinking. It wasn't a voice inside his head. It was Roy, whispering into his ear. You think you're going to win her over now? Roy asked, laughing to himself and getting a chuckle from the waitresses. You'll be lucky if she don't dump that drink right in your goddamn lap. You told them? Bill asked, sliding out of his daze, embarrassed and confused. You you told them the truth? First time for everything, Roy shrugged. These pretty ladies wanted our story, so I was just telling them about your wife and all that crap. I'd have come up with something else, but sometimes the real deal is just better material. Can you believe that, gals? Father of the year over here thinks he can turn a wild turkey back into a hen. Don't that beat all? Margaret is a snatch, the closer waitress said, as if that news were somehow consoling. Seriously, she blew my ex the day after we broke up. You're better off without her, dude. But don't worry, the other one added. If you're waiting around here to see her, you pick the right night to do it. Then she motioned toward the closed kitchen door. She's president of the Wayne Fan Club, she whispered. That's Margaret's biggest flaw, the other waitress said. She wants what she can't have. Any girl with any sense knows Wayne isn't in to commitment. Wayne is a slut, the other one said. Wayne fucks everybody, the closer one said. But every Sunday night, Margaret comes down here to sit and stare like he's her man. It's pathetic. Bill studied Wayne for a moment, looking through the kitchen window at the young guy's nice arms and full head of hair. He didn't look much older than Kyle, but a hell of a lot tougher. Suddenly, Bill felt choked by jealousy. Wayne was an attractive guy, quite attractive compared to himself. He wanted to take another long drink, but now his glass was empty. You hear that? Roy said. Sounds like you and your old lady have something in common. You're both romantic fools. Bill frowned into his empty drink and scratched his nose, deciding to just be the butt of their joke. Then he noticed a tiny pink button on Roy's half of the handcuffs. It was almost hidden barely sticking out the underside, directly below the keyhole. He squinted, giving it a closer look. Etched into the metal beside it was the word, Release.
You've got to be fucking kidding me, Bill said in disbelief. Roy just ignored him and continued to chat with the waitresses in the next booth. Bill slid aside his drink and pressed the little button with his thumb. Roy's cuff sprang open and hit the table with a bang. Roy looked down. Oh, darn, he sighed, not surprised at all. You found it. Well, I suppose that means the jig is up. Girls, you're in luck. Looks like I'm a free man now. What the fuck, Bill yelled, yanking his arm away and searching for a button on his own half. But Bill's cuff didn't have the same button, so he struggled with it instead, trying to just pry it over his knuckles. Careful, Roy said. You're going to break your thumb. Hang on. Roy grabbed the opened cuff, held the button down, and gently slid Bill's side apart, freeing Bill's wrist. Then he handed the flimsy things to the waitress closest to him. Here, Roy said to her. You two try them on. You've known this whole time, Bill asked, rubbing the sore ring of flesh where the cheap metal had almost cut him. I told you they were just a sex toy, Roy said. But why on earth would you do that, Bill asked, baffled. Well, because this was a sex thing, Roy shrugged. Most bored couples just use them on a bedpost, I thought why not spice it up and try something new. A lot of gals I know fantasize about two guys at the same time. Ain't that right, girls? Yeah, the farthest waitress agreed. That is a thing. Apart, we were nothing but ourselves, Roy said, squeezing Bill's shoulder. I've spent enough time being myself. And from what you said back at the airport, it sounded like you had as well. I thought these cheap-ass things would make our trip more exciting. Which kind of worked out, when you think about it. Bill got up from the table, stretching his shoulder and neck. Plus, Roy continued, if I must confess, I've never really traveled, like I said. That much was not a lie. I figured the best way to keep you from ditching me would be to just chain myself to you. But why him? The closer waitress asked. Well, because he's got all the money, Roy said, throwing up his hands. Hell, I only got four bucks to my name. How's a guy supposed to see a live armadillo on that budget? But I gotta say, after getting to know him, I doubt he would have ditched me regardless. He's a bit of a dependent soul. But I watched you swallow a key, Bill said, still confused. That was to my locker back at the airport, Roy said, eating a few chips. Where do you think I keep all my stolen treasures? But thanks to this iron gut of mine, that savings account will be waiting for me when I return. That's the only way I've found works when trying to hold on to something. By swallowing it, that is. 
I think you might know a thing or two about that as well, Bobby. My name is Bill, Bill said. And yeah, I might. Well, you made it to Phoenix, Roy said, picking up his drink. Might have been a little bit easier with a rental car, but that wouldn't have been as much fun, I don't think. Because fun is what we're in the market for. Right, girls? Bill watched as the waitresses began to play with the handcuffs, locking and unlocking themselves together and laughing. Roy smiled, took a drink, then glanced sideways and gave Bill a wink. Get that bite looked at, Bill said, giving up on being mad and taking out his wallet. And here, take this. Bill handed Roy all the cash he had left. See what I mean, Roy said to the waitresses, taking the money and sticking it in his breast pocket. Don't this sap just have the biggest heart of gold you ever seen? Margaret doesn't deserve a nice guy, the farthest waitress said, snapping the cuffs shut around herself and looking him in the eyes. You're too sweet for her. Right, Bill said, embarrassed. Well, have a nice rest of your trip, Roy. You too, Roy said, lifting his drink. And best of luck to you as well. Thanks, Bill said, pocketing a few napkins. He went to the door and pulled it open, stepping out into the parking lot. The night had turned cool and the sky was an unfamiliar shade of black, making Bill think for a moment about how many shades of black were possible how dark something could get before it was no longer black. This was the darkest night he'd ever seen, and the bright stars only made it darker as he stood there, looking up. Then he heard someone cough. There was a van parked on the far side of the building. The back doors of it were hanging open and a pair of bare, slender legs with small feet in white shoes dangled out over the rear bumper. Then a trail of smoke appeared and Bill heard another cough. He crept over, trying to get a look inside without being noticed, but his footsteps drug through the gravel and gave him away. Who's there? A frightened voice called out as the legs retracted and a cigarette butt was thrown. Bill recognized Margaret's voice right away. She sounded thirsty and irritated, the way she used to after gardening. He hesitated, now completely unsure of what to say. She still hadn't seen him. There was time left to just walk away. Wayne, Margaret called. Wayne, is that you? I need a goddamn shot. No, 
Bill said, taking a step back and touching his sore wrist again. No. Wayne's inside. You want me to go get him? No, leave him, she said. He don't want nothing to do with me anyway. Bill heard her trying to light another cigarette. She'd never smoked once that he could remember. These matches are wet, she said. Ugly Joe, quit hiding over there and give me your lighter. Her short legs went back to dangling. Bill looked in through the bar's front windows. It was plain to see which one of the old fucks in there was Ugly Joe. Hideous was more like it. But perhaps that was too cumbersome a word to tack on to someone's name. It's me, Bill said, stepping to where she could see him. It's Bill. Oh, it's you, she said, trying to strike another soggy match. She barely looked up at him as she fumbled with the little wet matchbook. I heard you were here. What do you want? Bill had no immediate answer, but her tone didn't make an answer necessary. You're alive, he finally said, thrown off and now just trying to play it as cool as she was. I knew that body wasn't you, Margie. She... Enough about her, Margaret snapped, interrupting him. I didn't kill her, if that's what you were wondering. Bill just looked at her. You got a lighter or not, she asked, throwing aside the matches. Bill handed her his lighter and then stood there with his hands in his pockets, watching her light it and smoke. She took long drags, swallowing after each one. So what then? Margaret asked, picking at her uniform. Did you come here to give me a lecture? No, Bill said, glancing up at the stars again. I came to bring you home. Margaret laughed so hard she began to snort. Then she spat, wiped her mouth, and gathered herself. Bill glared at her, his insides rumbling as he watched her take another long drag and roll her eyes. Aren't you going to ask about the kids, he asked. I'm sure they're fine, she said, brushing ash off her chest. They got you looking after them, right? How bad could they be? Why'd you do it? Bill asked. Do what? She shrugged. Why'd you fake your own death? He said. You had to know how that would affect us. Some young woman I don't even know is buried next to my grandmother, for God's sake. So the kids don't know? She asked. 
they don't know I'm still alive? I haven't told them, he said, looking off. I wanted to see you for myself first. He turned and plopped down on the bumper beside her, taking the cigarette from her hand and stealing a drag. Why all this, Margaret? he asked. Why didn't you just come home? That isn't my home, she said. Sending Gloria's body up there wasn't my idea. The ambulance guys had dragged her out of the pool and tossed her in the back before I'd even gotten dressed. It was early in the morning, and I was hung over. When I found out about the mix-up, I just figured it made no difference. Does Wayne have anything to do with this? Bill asked. Margaret smirked and shook her head, flicking the ash of her cigarette over her legs. Well, I take it you met Rhonda and Sally, she said, squinting at her dry knees. Who? Bill asked. Those bitches inside, she said. Bill stole another drag. They're just jealous, she said, taking it back from him. Rhonda thinks she's next in line, and Sally's just pissed because she's flat-chested and nobody wants her. I'm sure they talked a bunch of shit, but none of it is true. So you didn't blow one of their exes right after they broke up? Bill asked. Yeah, she muttered, scratching her leg. That happened, but she left him, so fuck her. Bill just grunted, trying to seem unfazed. You never let yourself get upset, Margaret said, teasing him. It's like the hardest thing in the world for you to do. That's not true, he said, thinking about Maddie and Kyle, wondering how they were. I yelled at Maddie and Kyle pretty bad this morning. What about? she asked, leaning back on an elbow. I demanded rent, he said, laughing a little at himself. Well, good luck with that one, she said. I don't even pay rent. I know, right? he said, turning to her. I was upset about the funeral and just kind of lost it. I think I even asked for $700 each. Woof, she said, blowing out a cloud of smoke. It's a bit steep, I know, he admitted, throwing up his hands. But I'm a single father. The bills don't pay themselves. How's that been? she asked. Being single. How many girls are chasing you around? Bill made a sour face and turned away. He hadn't touched another woman since Margaret had left him. He'd been forced on a few dates over the last decade. Awful experiences, buying lonely friends of friends overpriced wine and then listening to them talk about themselves. Romance wasn't real anymore, and even if it was, Bill had entirely lost his desire to know it. 
even now sitting beside his estranged wife, talking casually like this. It was absurd to even picture another woman. No one came to mind. Nothing much to report, he shrugged, hoping that would end the topic. I keep busy enough with work and the kids. Oh, she said, realizing the truth in his shifting eyes and feeling a tinge of guilt. I guess I just assumed you'd move on. Bill just stared off. Nah, he said, embarrassed. So what gave it away, she asked, changing the subject. I should have guessed you'd be the only person to tell me and Gloria apart. She's taller than you, Bill said. But you're a heck of a lot prettier than her. Back at the morgue, the legs were the first thing I saw. But when they pulled back the sheet, the face was how I knew for certain. Bill looked her in the eyes. I guess because that's the part I'd been missing the most, he said. When I got the call, I was devastated. I broke down at the office, smashed my coffee cup, kicked a trash can across the break room, tore down a mini blind in the men's room, vomited. I had a real tantrum. Margaret laughed. But when I crumbled into my car a few minutes later, Bill said, I sat in the parking garage of my building, baffled as to how I was going to muster the strength to just lift my keys. The only thing that got me moving was the thought of getting to see your face. But then you even robbed me of that. He tried sounding light-hearted, but his breath was short and he huffed looking toward the bar to hide a frown. Thanks, Bill, she said, touching his arm. That's sweet of you. Bill looked at her hand and then looked away again, thinking about what any of his sweetness had achieved. He was surprised by how natural this talk felt but irritated by how annoyingly circular it was. So it's a no, then, he said. You're staying here with what's-his-name Wayne, and I'm flying back alone? Margaret studied him, hesitating to answer. It's still your home, Bill said, taking her by the hand. The years don't mean anything to me. I forgive you. I even think I understand a little. I get it. I'll admit, when I left to come down here, I had a lot of questions. I was upset. But really, now that I'm here, it doesn't make any difference why you left, and why you stayed gone. It won't change anything to know what it was that made you leave. And I won't get any relief from explaining how much it hurt me. 
I didn't come here to yell at you. I just came here to see you. Margaret just stared at him. You look great, he said. But are you doing all right? Margaret looked at the damp area beside her in the filthy van. I think I've always wanted to do things on my own, she said. Growing up, even after the kids were born, maybe it was something from my childhood, I I don't know. I've just always had this feeling that I was better off by myself. No one to look out for. No one worrying about me. That's not how that works, Bill said, shaking his head and staring into the gravel. I know, she said. But it was all I could handle. It's amazing how much effort it takes to be left alone. And it's funny how many people you worry and hurt in the process. I wouldn't call it funny, Bill said. But yeah, it's foolish to think that looking out for only yourself wouldn't have a lasting effect on others. Foolish, she said, mocking him. God, you're still such a square. Well, one of us had to be, he said, letting her make fun of him. Otherwise, the kids would have wound up at your mother's. She's still around, Margaret asked. I never would have guessed. She's still pat, Bill shrugged. She never got around to liking me much, but she's really helped me out with the kids. I couldn't have done it without her. Did you tell her? Margaret asked. She knows, Bill confessed. She's the only one I could tell. Plus, she's your mother and had the right to know that you're still alive. I called her on my way back from the hospital on Friday and told her the dead body wasn't you. Funny thing is, she didn't act all that surprised and was mainly relieved to get to skip the funeral. It was hard explaining that one to the kids, but luckily they're old enough now to reason with people handling grief in different ways. Why didn't she come with you? Margaret asked. I offered, Bill said. But she didn't want to help me find you. She made it sound like she didn't care, but I think it was just her way of telling me to do it myself. It was probably both, Margaret grumbled. I never did get why she came back in the first place. Bill thought for a second unsure what point he wanted to make first. The timing of it was at least helpful, he said finally, defeated. I don't claim to know much about Pat's subconscious. It's likely a very scandalous place, but I'd say from my end that you two have some things in common. Don't you dare, Margaret scoffed, shoving him. I'm not at all like my mother. Right, Bill said, trying to hide his sarcasm. Eh, Bitter and jaded, 
drowning her loneliness in booze and filling the remaining emptiness with meaningless sex. That'd be just awful to see happen to you. Margaret took the subtle insult and looked down at her legs, not wanting it to show. You can be alone whenever you want, Bill said. I'll renovate the basement and you can lock yourself down there. Hell, lock me down there for all I care. I can even sleep in the yard. I picked up a pretty nice tent last summer. You might even prefer it over the house. Or I can go, he said. Heck, I can't compete with Wayne. That guy's a hunk. But, she said, suggesting he finish his thought. But he doesn't love you, Bill said. At least not the way that I love you. Margaret wiped her eye. The weed was wearing off, and her head had begun to ache. She thought about Wayne and about their fight that morning. Fine, she said. But you're in charge of cooking from now on. And I don't vacuum either. I've done enough of that for one lifetime. Bill looked shocked. I'm sick of this dry heat anyway, she said. I know you're still a square and all, but if you're up for a thrill, the keys are in the ignition. She pointed to the dashboard of the van. We can just leave it parked at the airport, she said. Esteban's brother works there. He'll find it. Come on. Let's go. Bill got up, straightening his shirt and helping her down off the bumper. They closed the back and he helped her up into the passenger seat, even opening the door for her before slamming it shut and running around to climb in behind the wheel. Then he buckled up, cranked the keys and hit the gas, swerving the lumbering van in a big U-turn and jumping the curb down onto the road. Left, Margaret yelled, pointing. Wait, I mean right. Take a right. Bill jerked the wheel and grit his teeth, hopping the median in a squeal of tires before heading the other way. They drove past the bright shopping mall and entered the black desert in a calm, breathing silence. The mariachi radio was low, but Bill found its inaudible rumble soothing, especially now that Margaret was holding his hand. For a split second, he thought of Roy, noticing the sore marks the handcuff had left on his wrist. But then Margaret's fingers traced over the indented pink lines, massaging them. It tingled and Bill relaxed his eyes, taking them from the road and looking over at his wife. Her window was down and her hair danced in the wind as she stared out across the emptiness. Then she turned to him and smiled. Her eyes were foggy and tired. He decided not to say anything 
and just enjoy it. Looking back toward the road. Far in the distance, he could see the lights of the airport popping up along the horizon. But then a tall sign for a truck stop appeared to one side. Let's stop there, she said, pointing. I gotta pee. Bill slowed down and took the exit to the tiny rest area. There were a dozen semis parked in back, a few others running along the side of the gas pumps, and a big cement building marked restrooms in giant red plastic letters. I'll race you, Margaret said, opening her door and climbing out. Bill got out as well and followed her, suddenly needing to go pretty bad himself. He watched her wobble a little in front of him, staggering like she was drunk. Then she hiccuped and wiped her mouth, turning to him. I forgot my purse, she said, taking the keys from his hand. I need my girl stuff. I'll meet you back here. You go ahead. Bill knew what he was doing wasn't smart. But he let go of the keys and scratched his ear. Then his bladder began to ache and his knees shook. Go ahead, she called, running back to the van. Bill wanted to wait for her, but he really needed to pee. Don't worry, she yelled, opening the passenger side and digging around on the floor. Bill turned and darted to the bathroom doors, almost skipping to avoid pissing his pants. The cold margarita wanted out. He rushed into the giant, echoey restroom and over to a urinal, removing himself and letting out a sigh as the pressure released and a gentle, trickling sound reverberated off the walls. He peed for nearly a full minute, counting the seconds in his head the way he'd come to do each time after a doctor had suggested it. He closed his eyes, thinking about Margaret's fingers on his wrist, thinking about the soft skin of her shin, her hair dancing in this foreign desert air, her wrinkled uniform her smoky voice. It was arousing to not think of her the way he had been for over a decade. This image of her wasn't one from the distant past. It wasn't a held memory nearly squeezed of all its life. It was new and present. And although it was putrid and kind of musky, the scent she left on him was pleasing in that moment. He smiled, thinking about the idea of holding her as they slept a few hours from now. Maybe they'd make love. It stung to imagine the details. He'd be slow and understanding. But would she kiss him? Perhaps that's what I should do, he thought. Wash your damn hands and march out there and lay one on her. All this way and you haven't even kissed her yet. 
She's your wife, goddammit. He laughed at how angry the voice in his head was. Margaret was right. He was a total square. Even his demons weren't all that tough. But then he drew in a breath and let it out slow, sensing the truth as he zipped up his pants and washed his hands. He took a final look around the big bathroom, sealing its emptiness inside him like a picture. Then he pulled open the door and walked out into the bright parking lot. Like he'd assumed, the van was gone. And in a cruel twist, he could even see its red taillights far in the distance, heading back toward town. She'd left him again. And just like the first time, she'd taken the car with her. Chapter 24 On a map, Phoenix looks like a rectangle. But the outskirt roads all curve, making it feel more like a circle. Aside from a few tortilla chips back at the Cactus Lounge, Bill hadn't eaten all day. He walked along the shoulder of the highway and realized he actually hadn't eaten since Friday, when he'd gotten the phone call about the drowning. Although he was staggering now, tripping, spitting up, and shivering, he still wasn't hungry at all. The thought of eating seemed silly and pointless. He craved nothing. Not even water. And so he moved on down the road, following the lip of a steep ditch, and listening to the rattle of snakes. He was so disoriented it took strength not to just collapse and fall into the darkness sloping down to his right. Ahead, maybe miles, maybe less, the lights of the airport glowed white and rose in spires, dissolving the lower stars into a solid ring of pale blue. He pushed up his sleeves and wiped his brow. Walking was all that was left to do. He could walk to the airport and fly home. Or he could walk there and sleep in a terminal. Hell, he could walk there and get a ticket to Tijuana, like Roy had suggested, and live out the next year passed out on a beach or drunk in a hotel room, writing this whole story down. He didn't need to go back. Pat would never miss him. He could give her the house to sell, finally pay her for babysitting all those years. Maddie. Poor Maddie. He hoped she wasn't doomed to this kind of loneliness and rejection. But who would ever reject a girl like her? So beautiful and kind. But the world was a selfish place, and as he thought about his daughter, now a young woman two inches taller than him and loads stronger, he knew it was no longer his place to protect her from finding that out. 
that blockhead Riley was a prime candidate for delivering the news. And then there was Kyle. Plain and simple mac and cheese Kyle Palmer. The 19-year-old toddler. Still spending his lawn mowing allowance on Legos and video games. Maybe there was something smart to that. A sort of immature brilliance. Bill thought about the things his late bloomer son was missing out on by hiding in his room every day. Romance, travels, responsibility, a sense of purpose. Bill laughed into the desert darkness. Kyle was a fucking genius for not wanting any of those things. Bill looked over his shoulder and then up at the stars. Although he found them repetitive and boring, he would much rather be playing a video game right now than stumbling down this road with sweat in his eyes. Don't bother, Bill said out loud, as if Kyle were walking right beside him. For a second, his vision blurred and his footsteps drug their toes, so he stopped to catch his breath. More than one snake was close. He could see the shimmer of their eyes and the whip of their tongues flash in the moonlight. Then the dirt below his feet began to glow. He assumed he was about to faint as the light crawled up his pant legs, but he turned toward the sound of an engine and shielded his eyes. It wasn't the moon. It was headlights coming toward him. He'd been walking in the dark for a while, so as the vehicle approached and rolled to a stop a few feet back, he could barely see a thing. He backed toward the ditch as he heard a car door open and slam shut. It wasn't the van. It was too low to the ground. Then a shadowed figure stepped into the headlight beams, carrying a bottle in one hand. It was Roy. Bill could only tell this by the wild beard and hair silhouetted in black. Roy took a swig from the bottle and stepped toward him as the car remained running with its brights cast upon them. Snakes out here, Roy said passing him the bottle. Bill motioned for him to keep it and pulled down his sleeves, shivering. I won't make you tell me, Roy said, throwing the bottle's cap into the ditch. The truth is I already know. That's why I came so soon. I figured you'd be on foot again. Bill looked over Roy's shoulder squinting to see who else was in the car. It was the waitresses. One was behind the wheel and the other was in the back with her legs thrown up over the seat. We're headed to Vegas, Roy said, noticing Bill linger over the one in back. Or wherever the hell looks cool on the way there. Bill pulled the bottle from Roy's hand and took a drink. Still looking into the car, 
feeling strangely angered by the curve of the girl's knees and ankles. I'm not inviting you, if that's what you think, Roy said, taking the bottle back before Bill could finish it. But we can drop you at the airport. Now that his eyes had adjusted and his throat no longer throbbed, Bill could see more clearly. He looked at Roy's swollen arm. The snake bite had been wrapped and bandaged, and the swelling had gone down. Not too bad, huh? Roy said proudly, turning his forearm so Bill could get a better look at the neatly folded gauze. You left right before things got fun. That stud muffin bartender must have called one of them nurses on the phone. Not even five minutes after you were gone, a handful of the sweetest gals in scrubs showed up for drinks. One of them brought this whole damn kit with her. Anti-venom, cold goop, even some nice pain meds. Me and the girls split those. Well, good, Bill shrugged feeling just as unimportant as he had before they'd pulled up. We all heard you take off, Roy admitted, showing discretion out of character for himself. It was something of a joke back there. You stepped out the front and that baked potato fry cook watched you walk right up to his van and get in the back with her. I hate to tell you this, but everybody inside could hear you two talking. The screen windows of the place were open. As soon as you jumped that curb and took off, everybody laughed. Rhonda there told me that Margaret gal pulls stunts like that almost every night, trying to stir up drama to get the Wayne guy to notice. The fat cook even told me this was the third time this week she's stolen his van. Apparently he owns multiple vans for that very reason. Bill looked off, and his eyelids lowered. Anyways, Roy said, enjoying himself. Everyone in that dump had a bet going on how long it'd be till she came back alone. I wasn't too worried on her robbing you, which was a side bet I had declined on at the last minute, figuring you didn't have much left to rob you of. But the good news is, I won. Roy pulled out a wad of cash from his breast pocket. Hundreds of dollars, all in crumpled twenties and fives. Victorious, Roy said, tapping Bill on the chest with it. I put every dollar you gave me on how quick that tramp's ass would be back on a bar stool, and I suppose today was my lucky day. I bet the over. I knew the yammering you're capable of would keep her gone longer than the others were predicting, but I kept that to myself. I didn't even tell the girls. And bless the Lord, when 18 minutes had passed, I'd won the lot. But I'm a gambling man, you see, so I doubled down on another five whole minutes. When she showed back up in that van without you, it was nearly on the nose, just a few seconds over. It was so perfect. Describing it wouldn't do it justice. And then what? Bill asked, his face now white and beaded in sweat. What do you mean? Roy shrugged. 
a little irritated that Bill had interrupted him with such a question. I already said she showed back up. What did she say? Bill asked. Well, hell, I got no idea, Roy laughed, still holding out the cash. She parked the van in the same spot by the front doors, came in and sat down, made eyes at that blondie boy in the t-shirt. I was too busy collecting my winnings to get an ear close. Looked to me like she was talking and the boy was only half listening, pretending to care. I know that feeling, Margie, Bill said, quietly to himself. She did a shot with the fatso, Roy said, suddenly thinking this information helpful. Gave him back his keys, come to think of it. I would have chatted with her, but there was a crowd by then, and well, I'd nearly caught a buzz and already had these two hooked on spending my winnings as a team. It's best to pull in the lines when you've caught enough for yourself. Greed brings about trouble. That old lady of yours went back out to that van several more times, though, dangling her legs out the back like she done with you, yakking with other morons and sharing cigarettes like she done with you. Sally told me that's the way it is every Sunday night. Her flirting with everyone, but secretly waiting for that poor kid behind the bar to get done and drive her home. So did they leave together? Bill asked. I got no clue, Roy said. The bar is still open. She's still sitting in there. It took some convincing, but I managed to get Rhonda over there to drive. Told her all expenses paid. But we'll see about that, I suppose. I tell you, Bobby, this might be the best vacation I've ever had. Roy began to count the cash, straightening the bills and not looking up. Bill grabbed him by the collar and hauled back, socking him right in the ear. The money went flying and Roy yelped, grabbing his head and dropping to a knee. The girls in the car looked on, more entertained than concerned. Bill held Roy by the collar and pulled the old man to his feet, giving him a shove onto the hood of the car. Then they both went about collecting the money from scattering across the road and blowing into the ditch. It was straining work, squinting into the bright beams of the headlights and clawing the dirt for loose twenties. Roy clutched what he'd gathered to his chest and in the crook of his arm, rubbing his ear as Bill picked up what he could find and handed it back. I'm sorry, Bill said, defeated. For what? Roy asked. Bill just looked at him. Get in the car. Roy said. We'll drop you off at the airport. Chapter 25 The brief ride to the airport was the best Bill had felt all week. Hell, it was the best he'd felt in years, since that awful evening when Margaret had left the house, never to return. Bill rode in the small back seat of Rhonda's sports car, crammed next to Sally. She smelled like soap and dryer sheets, 
and every bump in the road her bare thigh muscles bounced and wiggled in the moonlight. Bill felt like a boy, sitting so close beside her and trying not to gawk. The radio was nice, too, mixing with the desert air and the stars. And as the whine of a pedal steel guitar wafted from the dashboard speakers, Bill felt completely and utterly alone. More alone than when he'd been walking alone on this road. Now, there was less inside him. Less worry. Less pain. It'd been wrung from him like sweat from a rag. The skin of his face felt light and crisp as the whipping wind slapped him through Roy's rolled-down window. There was nothing to think about now. So he just took the time to glance sideways at Sally and admire her. Margaret was wrong. She wasn't that flat-chested. And even if she was, it worked on her. Then he thought about Maddie and looked away, ashamed of himself. They pulled up to the drop-off entrance of the airport, and Roy opened his door and climbed out, dragging up the front seat so Bill could get out as well. I'll see you later, Bill said to the girls. Bye, Sally said, smiling at him. He tucked a smirk to one side of his face and lumbered out of the tiny car, tangling himself up in the seatbelt as he spun free and onto his feet. Roy steadied him by the shoulder and then handed him forty bucks. Just take it, Roy said, as if he were a saint. This ought to call it even. Victorious, Bill grumbled, sticking the cash in his pants pocket. Headed home then, Roy asked, glancing around for security guards. Uh, Just headed back, Bill said. I don't know what to call it now. Well, Roy said, lowering himself back into the car and closing his door. When you get there, have at it. Then Roy pulled the key he'd swallowed earlier from his breast pocket and handed it to Bill through the open window. Don't worry, Roy said. I washed it. Bill took the tiny key and turned it in his fingers. Roy hadn't been lying. It was the key to an airport locker with the number 13024 etched on the ring mount. I doubt I'll be back any time soon, Roy said, first smiling at Rhonda and then looking back at Bill. So it's all yours, my friend. From me to you. Thanks. Bill could see Sally watching him as he stared in confusion at the little key. His jacket now slung over his shoulder and his filthy shirt untucked and hanging open. Let's hit it, Roy announced, slapping the side of his door. Then the car sped off before Bill could say anything else.
In a squeal of tires, the three of them were gone, and Bill was once again alone. But now he had this new image of Sally's legs stuck in his head. But then he heard the roar of a plane taking off and pocketed the key, dipping into the closest entrance he could find. A ticket back was $39.81, which was fantastic because that meant Bill didn't have to use his credit card. It'd been less than half a day since he'd fled this airport as a fugitive, and he was thankful no one recognized him. He played it cool at the security check, shrugging off his lack of luggage to an attendant and sliding his way through the line. Then he noticed the baggage claim conveyors down the escalator were all empty, except for two items. His own small red bag and the backpack he bought for Roy. He checked in at his gate and then ran down to inspect them. All his things were still in his bag, but there were no drugs like Roy had mentioned. He'd either lied about that, too, or they'd been taken, but either way, here were his things, still slowly revolving around the big empty room, waiting for him. He slung the red bag over his shoulder and grabbed Roy's pack, yanking the zipper open. There was just a bottle of water left inside. Bill took this and tossed the backpack onto a row of empty chairs. Then he leapt up the escalator and hustled back to his departing gate, cracking open the water and taking a long swig as he walked down the jetway to find his seat on the plane. Once he was buckled in, he immediately fell asleep. In his dream, he was back in the smelly van, one hand on the wheel, flying through the dark, cool desert. But instead of Margaret, it was Sally in the passenger seat, rubbing his sore wrist. She pulled his hand across the console and drug his rough knuckles over the top of her creamy thigh. Then his hand became the spiraled claw of an armadillo, and sharp quills sprang from the cuff of his sleeve. He looked to the road, but the road was gone, replaced by a sun so hot and so close that the hood of the old van began to bubble and melt. Sally's grip tightened, and suddenly a rattling sound stirred up beside him. He turned, and she was no longer there. Instead, a snake was coiled around his wrist and woven between each finger, climbing up his arm. Bill met eyes with the snake, and as it slowly opened its mouth, all the air left Bill's lungs and he gasped, slamming awake in his little seat in the plane. A flight attendant was holding him by the arm and squeezing his hand, cooing for him to take a deep breath. 
It's all right, she said, pinching his elbow. It was just a dream. Bill looked at her, blinking himself back to reality and turning pink in embarrassment. The other passengers were all staring, and the whole capsule was silent, except for the rattle of a baby toy near the back, being shook by a small child over and over again. I'm so sorry, Bill said, sitting up and tugging at his collar. How long was I asleep? Not long, the attendant said, letting go of his arm and passing him a fresh bottle of water and some tissue. These things happen all the time. No need to feel bad. How long until we land, Bill asked, wiping his nose. We're about to begin our descent, she said. That's why I woke you up. What time is it? Bill asked. It's almost midnight, she said, scooting up the aisle to let someone pass. We're ahead of schedule. Oh, Bill said, still not entirely able to shake the dream. Whoa. Oh, good. When the plane landed, Bill was the first out of his seat. After two bottles of water, he needed to pee again. He grabbed his red bag from overhead and politely shoved his way through the other sleepy travelers, holding himself as he ran down the jetway to the restrooms of his hometown airport. He made it barely in time, and as before, removed himself in a staggering scramble to the closest urinal to the door. A heavy sigh followed, and a moment later came clarity and balance. His mind settled afterward as he washed his hands and stepped out into the big, carpeted hallway. He looked both ways, barely able to understand the signs for an exit. Then he noticed a familiar gate number just down the hall to his left. It was the gate he'd departed from earlier that day, and a few benches down from that was the trash can where he'd thrown away his phone. Hardly anyone was around, just a few people here and there and no one in uniform. Bill crept over to the trash can and glanced around to make sure he wasn't being watched. Then, by bending over as if to dig in his bag, he reached into the wastebasket and fished around in it blindly. When his fingers found something heavy and square, he almost laughed out loud in disbelief, but contained himself and pulled it out. It was his phone, unscathed, without even a drop of salad dressing on it. Wow, he said, scrolling through it. 
No one had called him. No one had texted him either. He stuck the phone into his jacket and walked off down the terminal to the parking ramps. But on his way, he passed a wall-length row of lockers and suddenly remembered the key Roy had given him. He paused and glanced around again, just like he'd done at the trash can. Then he sat his small bag down and went over, reading the numbers and trying to decipher their order. Near the top right corner was his match. One, three, zero, two, four. It was amazing that this first of likely countless clusters of lockers was the one he was looking for. Lucky me, he said, pulling out the key and resisting a guttural urge to sniff it first. He stuck it in the lock and turned it, and the little metal door swung open. Inside was one small slip of paper. Bill took it out and looked it over. The back was just a long barcode, but on the front was a printed message. Buy any medium one-topping pizza and receive an additional medium one-topping pizza half off. Offer available at all California Pizza Kitchen locations. Limit one per customer. Valid through June 2nd, 2008. Bill glanced at the date on a monitor of delayed flights. The coupon was still good for a few more days. Something else that struck him as pure luck. Down the hall, the lights of the airport food court were still on, and the bartender boy from earlier, the one that kinda looked like Kyle, was vacuuming the carpet. But the sign on the door said they were open. Bill pulled out his phone and dialed his son. It rang three times. Hello? Kyle asked, answering in a distracted tone that still somehow brought Bill comfort. Hey, man, Bill said, looking back toward the food court. You hungry? Chapter 26 Bill's car was still in the ramp, right where he'd left it. And the keys were still lying right in the seat. Bill tossed his two piping hot pizzas onto the hood and opened the door. A few minutes later, he was exiting the airport loop and pulling onto the highway with the warm smell of mozzarella trailing out the car's open windows. Neither Maddie nor Kyle asked Bill where he'd been when he picked them up from Pat's. 
Kyle had begun eating as soon as he entered the back seat. But Maddie had at least hugged her dad. Something she hadn't done in a few months. Bill held her tight, lifting himself up on his toes so his chin could crest her shoulder. And now Bill was home on his couch, watching a wrestling match on television and eating a slice of pizza off of a paper towel in his lap. Kyle was sitting on the floor with the open boxes, and Maddie was slumped in the lounge chair next to them, eating hers with a plate and fork. The fight was staged, but still entertaining. The stakes, whatever they might have been, were high, according to Kyle. Bill watched his son's shaggy head bob back and forth with the action on the screen. Then they heard a car pull up outside, and a squeaky door slam shut. A moment later, the doorbell rang. I'll get it, Maddie said, setting her plate on the floor and wiggling out of the big chair. It was Riley. He'd rung the bell, but now stood down a few steps on the little porch, bashfully staring at his boots. He pulled off his raider's cap and turned it in his hands as she opened the door. "'What's the matter?' she asked, suddenly soft and concerned. Riley looked at his own dirty jeans she still had on and then up into her eyes. Can we talk? he asked. That concludes this story. For more information, go to www.skyoddsley.com That's www.skyaudsley.com